All right, good morning. Welcome back. The question and answer. Uh, I checked these at 9 o'clock this morning. There were 10 questions. So if you've submitted a question since 9 o'clock, my apologies. It won't be included. So number one, if the Romans have circled and backed off, what should be, we should be doing now to prepare if there's no place to run to? And I think this person is referring to the, <coughs> the analogy of the Romans encompassing Jerusalem to lay siege to it. And then they backed off and gave the, gave the, uh, Jews, Christians a chance to escape from Jerusalem before Jerusalem was destroyed. So she's comparing that metaphor that Christ gave to what we're dealing with now. Well, how should we, what we should be doing to prepare if there's no place to run to? Uh, that's a big question. And while I don't think there are any other nations that we can run to, because in, in world history, the United States was developed as a refuge for religious liberty and civil liberty. Okay, those are the two big, Two big principles that gave the United States its initial success. Religious liberty, which is embodied as Protestantism, and civil liberty, which is defined as republicanism. And that's not political party republicanism. That's the form of government, representative republicanism. Both Protestantism and, Republican, and, and republicanism have been corrupted. Our nation is not the nation it was originally designed to be. Our nation has followed the path of all earthly nations because all earthly nations belong to Satan. So there is no other nation that we can run to to protect our religious and civil liberties. Look at, look at what Canada did in the last two years. In Canada now, you can be jailed for questioning the Holocaust. Why can't we have questions about the Holocaust? Why why do we why do we have to accept that what's said about the Holocaust is truth? Why why can't we investigate it? We can't. You can't in Canada. You can be jailed for it. Same thing in England. Look at how New Zealand treated their um citizens in the last two, two and a half years. Australia with their restrictive uh policies with the uh, coronavirus measures so but we can still be we can still be wise what do you think is a better place to to raise a family rural Tennessee or downtown San Francisco <laughs> so we can be smart we can be intelligent we can make um informed decisions about uh, where to where to exist where to live but I think each of us is going to have to come to terms with we're, we're, we're eventually going to have to take a stand one way or another and we'll have to be identified as as uh, having the mark of the beast or having the mark of Christ you know Jennifer talked about life of Enoch mm-hmm and I've never, I haven't done much studying on Enoch, but when my dad was telling me about how, you know, obviously we know the story of Enoch basically walking right into heaven, right into the Garden of Eden. But what we don't realize is he was living in a very corrupt society. He had a 
city house that he would spend time counseling people, but then he would retreat on the weekends to his country home where he could commune with God more personally and not be distracted with everything in life. So I think as we think about that, how do we balance? Because a lot of people do live in San Francisco that are good people. How do you balance that mentality and the corruption that's around you with a godly character and a godly life and representing to your children, your family, your extended family, what you, the values you want to instill in them. Well said. And you Uh, can still live in the country and have a city. A city mentality. city mentality. Right. All right, question number two. Is there ever a time when we should stop having children due to the mass evil and the more evil to come, or should we plan to have them all the way up to Christ's return? Uh, And they quote uh, Matthew 24, woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers. Well, if birth rates in Western nations are any indication, that decision's already been made. Birth rates are declining over the last at least 15 years, probably more. Uh, I've included a couple of links that uh, in the... Q&A notes that uh, support that. Birth rates birth rates in many Western countries are now at 1. And you need a 2.3 uh, birth rate simply for replacing the current population. Meanwhile, birth rates in Africa are 5, 6, 7, some nations. So... Um, I don't have a great answer to that question. The the ability to reproduce is a godlike ability, and the ability to choose whether or not to reproduce is also a godlike ability. The, the ability to exercise your free will is godly. Please elaborate. Um... Mark fourteen fifty one fifty two. Okay, so this is the this is the story about um, this is Mark's account of the uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and the and the uh, Pharisees coming to get him and and Judas betraying him, and there was a one of his followers had only a linen out uh, linen coat. And when in the in the melee, when the when the Romans took Jesus captive, the guy was grabbed by the coat. He he got it. He wiggled out of the coat and ran away naked. Okay. So when I when I first saw this question, I thought it was pretty straightforward. I thought oh, the guy would, would rather run away naked and be free than to be captured and clothed. But it turns out Tim has written a, bro- a blog on this. And I referenced the blog in there. It's clothed or naked, a strange story for end times. Uh, Tim draws a lot more conclusions than just face value that I I thought, well, the guy just wanted his freedom and he was okay to run away naked. Uh, Tim, Tim makes a great metaphor out of it. So I encourage you to look at that. And the guy that asked this question uh, later on in the questions, he actually found that blog. So he kind of answered his own question, I think. Uh, four, it may be necessary to devote even the hours of the Holy Sabbath to the release and su- relief and suffering of humanity, but the fee for such labor should be put into the treasury of the Lord to be used for the worthy poor who need medical skills but cannot afford to pay for. And this is from Medical Ministry, page 216. Would you care to share your thoughts? 
Um, God reads hearts and minds, and there are some people that choose to work on Sabbath, and the the salary that they get for that, they donate to whatever cause they, the Holy Spirit leads them to, and that's great. There's some people who choose to work on Sabbath because they get paid overtime, and they choose to, to keep that money and use it for whatever they want. I don't read hearts and minds, and and there are there are people who are in healthcare and they say, "Well, I work on Sabbath because I I get an exemption from from Ellen White. She said it was okay to work on Sabbath." Um, so I I can't speak for anyone's conscience on that. I do think it's interesting, however, that she used the term "worthy poor." The term "worthy poor" also implies that there might be unworthy poor, doesn't it? It does in my head. So there are some people who are poor through no no fault of their own, no choice of their own. Just life has dealt them a bad deal. And there are other people who are poor simply because they're lazy. Was it Proverbs? A little folding of the hands, a little closing of the eyes to slumber, and poverty will be on you like a thief. So there are some people who are poor simply because of their own lack of exertion, lack of ambition. And there are some people who are poor through no consequence of their own, maybe through consequence of the behavior actions of someone else. So we should be, we should be discerning in who we uh, give our monies to. And I can't speak for any of you. But I can tell you when I when I pull up to Highway 75, the Shallowford exit, and there's a guy standing there with a with a cardboard sign. It says "Veteran Homeless." He's got two dogs by him. I'm not inclined to give him any money. Why? that's it i'm kidding no i mean if if you're if you're really destitute who who can afford two dogs who can afford to feed two dogs okay i've traveled extensively in in some third world holes i have seen i have seen actual desperation there there is a look in someone's eyes when they do not know where their next meal is coming from. And once you see it, you'll never forget it. And the guy who's well-fed, who has the money for a Sharpie and a sign and two dogs and a backpack, is probably a grifter. Now, for those of you who, who whose conscience convicts you to give him money, go in peace. The, the person who says, has a sign says, need beer money. That, that's, that's, that's honest. I'm still not going to give them my money. I'm not going to encourage, uh, their fattening of the liver. But I respect that person for being honest about it. Someone told me they offered a job to one of those people there with the signs. Yeah. He didn't want a job because he could make more money standing on the corner than he could in the job that was offered. Sure, you can. If you're if you have a job, you've got to take taxes out of that paycheck. 
a five or a ten dollar bill given out on the side of a freeway that's unreported income no tax coming out of that again i'm not trying to speak for any of your consciences if for those of you who who uh, are convicted to give money to someone standing on the side of freeway go in peace all right, next. Competitive sports tend to support the idea that to win, others must lose, but we can all win. And that's they, they put that in quotes. I actually put that quote into a search engine, and I came up with zero results. So I don't know where that, that quote is coming from. The support the idea that to win, others must lose, but in truth, we can all win. That sounds a lot like the... Um, participant trophy mentality well let's not keep score you're all winners yay um and i guess the idea of winners and losers comes from comes from a law lens in sports there there are teams or individuals that can win or lose by one point or a thousandth of a second if you look at olympic athletes and sprinters the difference between first place and last place is half a second, maybe less. In auto racing, the difference between first, second, and third place is a third of a second. So, however, uh, all of the participants in in a uh, in a sporting event, they get the benefit from the training, from the strengthening from the unit cohesion the team camaraderie that that's that's a they get they get the the benefit from the law of exertion whether they win or lose the game they still benefit so in that sense okay you've you've won you've you've lived in harmony with god's design law drew I think, uh, you know, when you think of competitive sports, this is something that we've had conversations with in our household. Um, you can learn just as much from losing as you can from winning. It doesn't, and someone's character is shown in winning and losing. I, that's well said. Yeah, I mean, I, I think about the times in my life, I've learned a lot more from failure than I have from success. All right, next question. Is there any chance that the Sligo by the Sea presentations are available? If so, where? Okay, so a good question is a question that I know the answer to. <laughs> and this is not a good question because I don't know. I'm kidding. Uh, Dean, uh, it, it, there, may, there, may be the, uh, there may be somewhere on the website that these presentations are available. I don't know. My my suggestion is go to website, search Sligo by the Sea, and see if anything comes up. Let's see. Would you? And this is this is addressed specifically to Doctor Jennings and the quote multi ethnic pastor. And I I don't know who that is, and this person doesn't either. Would you consider having public debates? In the past, you've made the challenge for the same, so I figured this would be an opportunity, seeing as you have already engaged in many day, debates during the class. I know Tim is his Tim would love to debate someone of a different opinion, either public uh, format or whatever. Um, and he's uh, he's offered the religion department 
any any and all of them over there the chance to debate him on design law or impose law and no one will take it and i frankly don't blame him he's a, he's a formidable debater i've debated with him in the past uh when we've traveled so uh, i don't know next question the cross is a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that from its very inception uh, sin brought to the heart of God. That's a quote from Ellen White, Education. Uh, the above was quoted in the introduction to the lesson the quarterly of the crucible of Christ, yet we spent 13 weeks focusing on our own suffering and hardly a mention of God's suffering. God has suffered since before creation of this world, and Christ died to show that God is, quote, pure gold, incorruptible. If you were to geographically locate the crucible, where would you place it and who would be in it? Would you include God the Father, the holy angels within the crucible, and what is the true, true purpose of the crucible? All right, these are also big questions. Uh, I don't think that God is in the crucible. Okay, the, when I was in chemistry class, crucible was a little porcelain bowl that we put compounds in to be purified, and we held that crucible over a Bunsen burner and heat, and the heat melted or somehow changed the compounds in and purified the compounds in that crucible. So as far as geographic location, the crucible is this planet. This earth is the crucible. And God does not need purifying. He's the purifier. He is the refiner of silver. He's the launderer purifying the soap. We are the ones needing the purification. Humanity is. He's allowing the heat. And he, he's, he's giving us as much heat as we need and as much heat as we can tolerate. I'm concerned about that particular picture of God. Why? Because it seems to me that James says that we tempt ourselves. Temptation comes from inside of us. He allows us to create our own situations and the circumstances of our choices are what caused the heat in the crucible. God designed the, the laws that set that up and you may want to, to say he's responsible for the heat but it's actually his allowing consequences to take place based on our choices and or the choices of others for example i could come punch you in the face and and you would be injured through no no choice of your own correct no fault of your own you're right about that um so but how do i respond to that that's the liberty the liberty is the heat that's refining all of us because we, the environment we all live in so the scripture tells us that god does not allow us to be tempted in any manner above and beyond what we can Correct. What we can uh, tolerate. And he always provides an outlet. And sometimes we, either our own choices or the choices of others, provide consequences that we have to endure. Okay? The the heat is, is, is literally being, is living in a sinful world. Amen. Okay? God, okay, so God didn't cause that to happen. He has allowed it to happen, and he's given us an out. He, he's given us a method for for restoration in that crucible and, the, and the, the process of being exposed to that heat is is purifying to some 
Uh, let's see. Before you leave, suffering. Okay. That's been mentioned for about 13 weeks now. The last night I sat down and I looked up uh, suffering in Merriam-Webster. And there are seven different definitions that go along with the word suffering. For example, you have Christ suffering on the cross. You also have him saying, suffer the little children to come to me. Different definition. So I just found it interesting. If you want to have a nice study, consider that there are seven different applications and some suffering may be different than the pain we often associate with it. Okay, uh, using that illustration, I don't, I don't think that the physical suffering of Christ on the cross in any way compared to the emotional suffering he, he was going through, of, of being separated, of having his father's presence withdrawn. Uh, the, the nails in the hands and feet were, were and the the meat, the bare flesh on his back from being flogged twice were, um, they paled in comparison to the, the struggle of his feelings and his emotions and his human desires to, to, to stop this. That's when, when Hebrews has said his character was made perfect through suffering, that, that was the suffering. He, he suffered with the, with the eradication of the desire to save self. All right, let's see. So this is from, uh, ooh, I'm not sure. HP. What Nell and White reference is that? I forgot to write it down. All right, so when tempted to sin, let us remember Jesus is pleading for us in the heavenly sanctuary. When we put away our sins and come to him in faith, he takes our names on his lips and presents them to the Father, saying, I have engraven them on my palms of my hands. I know them by name. Please explain this. And she said, uh, the person says, yes, I've read the CNR pamphlet. All right, so how would you explain this? Jesus is pleading for us in the heavenly sanctuary. Who's he pleading with? He's pleading with us. The heavenly sanctuary is an analogy for our hearts and minds. So he's not pleading with the Father. Father, don't hurt him. My blood, my blood. No, he's pleading with he's pleading with humanity to arrest their their their, their path of self destruction and and to to stop and to listen and to allow him to transform them. God is pleading with us through Jesus. Yes, God and the Holy Spirit are also pleading with us. They're one in in, in character and mission and in uh, and in in pleading. All right. So, last one. Of late, I've been curious about the concepts of beauty. It's objectivity or subjectivity. What is beauty? Is it simply attractiveness? Is it subjective objective? Also remember in the past you drew attention to the nature of mountains as an example. Uh, hmm. So we can say lots of things are beautiful. I think a Ferrari is beautiful. It's a beautiful vehicle. I think I think cars in general are beautiful. I have an I have an affinity for the automobile. Um 
I can look at the sunset of the Himalayan mountains and say, oh, this is beautiful, spectacular. However, Ellen White says that that's like looking at a compound fracture. She said the, the, the rocky mountains suck up out of the earth. That's not how God created uh, that's not how God was. That's not how creation looked. That's not how the earth looked before the flood. So these abrupt rocky mountains sticking out are like bones sticking out of the earth. I've seen a compound fracture. Beautiful is not an adjective I would use to describe it. It's horrible. And yet I can still look at the Rockies or the Himalayans and, and Himalayan mountains and say, that's beautiful. Um, I don't know if this person is talking about human beauty, but I think there are certain objective standards that, and science is quite clear, define beauty. Facial symmetry. For females, a, a 0 0.7 waist-to-hips ratio. These, these cross all cultures. Uh, and, are, and for men, uh, if it's a, a physical shape, a V-shape, uh, broad shoulders, height, uh, these are things that transcend cultures. One, uh, one intrepid uh, researcher in Ireland took a, um, some mannequins to men who had been born blind and had them run the hands over the mannequins. And one, one of the mannequins was the typical hourglass mannequin, and the other was a Lane Bryant mannequin. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, Lane Bryant, is, the, the shape is more of a egg shape. Hourglass shape, egg shape. Guess which one of the men that had been born blind, they had not, they had, not had any cultural influences, on uh, what was or wasn't a beautiful shape, guess which one they chose? The hourglass shape. So, and if there weren't some objective measures of what's beautiful, how 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 do women know what to how to apply makeup? How do they know this? Is it's almost intuitive from adolescence. They they know. How to, how to do these things. How do people who edit photographs with Photoshop, how do they know what to, what to airbrush and what to slenderize and what to accent? I think we're getting into a real interesting area, but beauty is really in the eye of the beholder. Because you can see, I can see a mathematical equation that's absolutely gorgeous. I can see, uh, central incisor that has all the correct dimensions and is absolutely gorgeous. I can see a canine that's pushed out at a funny angle or has a point on it that I think is very attractive, but it, for most people they would say it looks like a vampire tooth. So there's, there's a lot of different, you bring your own understanding to them. Rather than the Rockies, I see beauty. And you know maybe that is not the way that beauty was created here on this earth, but it's what we see as beautiful because that's what we know. Fair enough. All right. That's the last question. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.